Bigger on the Inside presents Sleep No More and Face the Raven, Heaven Sent, and Hell Bent. Hello and welcome back to Bigger on the Inside. I'm Dan Toland. With me, as always, is Michael Sims. Yay! I do my Hello. little Kermit. Hello, sir. <laughs> How Hello. are you today? I am good. Yes. Um, and oh, we're finishing up a season of Doctor Who. We are finishing up a season. Uh, we are at episode 150. Yeah, look at that. Of our show. How, did that, how the hell was that allowed to happen? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're, we're back. It's been a little bit, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, 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 we manage, we stumble back occasionally <laughs> <Yes>. and eventually. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> How have you been, sir? Uh, okay. You know, just, uh, getting ready for this festive time of year. As they say, it's snowing outside right now. I can't decide which way it wants to blow. Mm-hmm. One minute it's going <laughs> east, the next it's going west. I don't know, but yeah, it's, you know, getting ready, getting ready for... Christmas and Hanukkah coming up in okay. just a few weeks. So what about you? Much the same. Uh, snow hasn't started here yet. Uh, we're supposed to get some tonight mm. into tomorrow morning. But otherwise, yeah, just trying to not go broke before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So uh, let's see. What's what's going on in who? We've, there's got to be some news, I suppose. I mean, we're getting closer and closer. Yeah. Um, well, see, Capaldi recently gave an interview as we record this. He has been asked to come back for a fourth season. Mm-hmm. He has not made any decisions as yet. Okay. Uh, which would, you know, if he were to take it, that would kind of cry, like basically um, be the first Chris Chibnall mm-hmm. season to kind of bridge that that gap. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, yeah, I'm not really sure what else to say. I know that the season itself starts in a two or three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, as we sit here and record this, we're about two weeks away from the return of Doctor Mysterio. Yeah, yeah. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I'm not. I'm not really sure. Okay. Have you seen Class? No. Okay. Have you watched any of it? Or I watched the first episode, uh-huh. and it is. It's good. I'm not sure it's for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. Somebody, I heard somebody describe it as Torchwood, if Torchwood were doing what it was trying to do correctly. Huh. But it's got little <laughs> kids in it? It's, well, I mean, teenagers. Okay, okay. Older, older teenagers. Yeah. 20-somethings that are supposed to be teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the 90210 syndrome. Oh, wait, no, those are 30-year-olds. Yeah, <laughs> really. Um, yeah, I, could, I, I recognize that it was a good show, but I'm not sure it hooked me. Mm-hmm. But people really seem to be enjoying it. Yeah, I think at one point you described it as sort of picking up where Sarah Jane left off. But in much, much more serious. Oh, okay. Maybe I will check it out then. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I heard its ratings aren't exactly what they were hoping for. Is that true? I, that I haven't heard. I don't know. Okay. I mean, ratings generally mean nothing to me, you know. But when you do hear that, sometimes it makes you go, ooh, that's, that's too bad, you know. Because I think Doctor Who is ripe. For spinoffs, it's just finding the right ones, and as you saw with Torchwood, it's, you just said a minute ago, it's like getting it right 
You know, Torchwood was such a brilliant idea, but <laughs> so few always episodes. Children of Earth. Yes, and that's where I was going to go. So few yeah. episodes hit the mark, but Children of Earth, right there, like, oof, you know, they they proved they could do it. You know, yes, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. There was something I was. Oh, oh, go, going back to uh, Capaldi, maybe coming back, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, what what do you think? You know, so we're gonna, we, you know, we'll have a new showrunner. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, potentially a new companion because I had heard that as a rumor too. That I heard that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Do Do you just just your own personal opinion here? Do you think they should do a completely clean slate um, by the time Chimnall takes over, like a series five? Yeah. Do I think that? Um. I don't. I would like to see Capaldi come back. Mm-hmm. I think part of it is. Well, not even part of it. I think. Well, okay. Part of it is. I think it would be nice to have that kind of bridge mm-hmm. between the two eras because I'm sure that whatever Chibnall does, it will look and feel different. Yeah. But also, I'm obviously still really, really, really enjoying Capaldi, mm-hmm. and because we've had so much time in between his seasons, I'm not tired of him yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because you remember, by the time that when Tennant left, I loved Tennant. Mm-hmm. Tennant was wonderful, but by the time he was going. I was very ready for him to go. Right, yeah. You know? Not because of anything he was doing wrong. It was just, I was just, I was just kind of getting sick of him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I'm not even close to that with Capaldi. Yeah, yeah. And I suspect by the end of Series 10, this one coming up, mm-hmm. that will still be the case. Okay. You know? Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm of mixed minds, you know? I think every once in a while you do need to just clean slate, you know? Um, bring in fresh viewers um fresh takes on it um but sometimes it is good to have to use your word a bridge you know whether it's a companion or the doctor um i'm gonna i'm gonna go a little opposite you and say yes i do hope they do it um but i do want more from capaldi so it's not like a (laughs) hundred percent i hope they do it and i'm pushing capaldi out the door you know right i mean he he could play the doctor for years to come if he wanted to and of course if he had the right scripts to uh, really help him portray his version of the doctor and i would love to see it um sure. not to get ahead of ourselves but some of the stories today his acting was like that's the doctor and yeah, uh, yeah. again i don't want to say too much because we'll get to it in a little bit here but uh yeah if he could keep bringing stuff like that to the table to the character it'd be amazing because it's the way he can change it up you know, he starts out the Doctor as this, like, confused guy, and where we see him today, he's angry and sad and all this and that, and we see everything in between. His acting range is brilliant. It um, really is, yeah. And I think he has more to offer this character and the role um, that we haven't even come close to seeing yet. Yeah, I mean, plus we've I mean, we've got a whole season coming up very, very soon. Right, yeah. And I think we may, obviously, we'll probably be revisiting this question in a few months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Assuming we don't actually have, you know, an idea of exactly what's going to be happening by then. Right. Yeah. Which I suspect we will, because if they're if they were gonna write him out at the end of Christmas next year, mm-hmm. they'd have to start getting that engine in motion now. Oh, that's true, yeah. 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 Yeah, because if they did it at the end of the actual upcoming season, I mean we'd have to know that already. Exactly. Well yeah, I mean we we, we would be like three months out. Mm-hmm. Um but no, he signed through the Christmas special of 2017. Mm-hmm. So he's got like basically this time next year. Yeah. 
but that's still not a lot of time for them to get a new guy in and you know all the hype and publicity that goes with that because mm-hmm. you remember how this goes you know oh he's leaving oh <laughs> all these you know oh they're looking for someone oh we've got more stories you know yeah. <laughs> that and that just goes on for months and months and months yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, stepping aside from that for a second, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. I have a question for you. I, it's just it's just a random thought that I had the okay. other day. Yes. So the Daleks, they have those two little lamp lights on the top of their heads. Mm-hmm. Is that meant to mimic the lamp on the top of the tor- uh, of the TARDIS? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Okay. Just all of a sudden, I was thinking about it. I'm like, huh? The TARDIS and the Daleks both have little lamps on their heads, and I don't know if there was supposed to be, if there was, a, if that's just a coincidence or if. That was a design choice made 50 years ago or whatever it was when they debuted, you know. Not that I've ever heard. Okay. Um, and this is some mean, stupid fan theory of mine. This is just an honest question, you know. Okay. Yeah, no, not that I've ever heard. I think it was just kind of a way to make them a little more visually interesting when they talk. Because obviously you can't see their mouths move. Yeah, yeah. So. Talk. Yeah, because, I mean, otherwise you're right. It was just a dome. Ooh, mm-hmm. you know. But, yeah, I guess when those things light up, it is a little scary. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, have you been reading the? Um, uh, I just lost his name. Uh, the the third Doctor comic. Oh, Paul Cornell. Paul Cornell. That's it. Yeah. I haven't actually. Mm-hmm. No, have you? No. <laughs> Even after <laughs> swearing, I would. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if it's finished up yet or not. Um, I, think, I know an issue came out very recently. Yeah, I think like last week. Yeah, I think I'm at this point. I just have to wait for the trade. Yeah. You know, but like, maybe I'll uh, maybe like we can do a special on it or something. Not not promising that we will. Yeah. We just maybe. I'd like that. I'd like that. Um, I don't read a lot of new Doctor Who comics, and mm. when I do, it does tend to be after they've come out. Yeah, and I can just read the whole thing in one go. Um, yeah. Okay, but uh, speaking of uh, specials, yes, that, that are coming up for uh, Earth Two because this this production meeting that will be left in the show will we run what we're about to talk about as a special or as an episode proper uh i, I, I probably special it doesn't really like cuz it doesn't really follow the regular episode format yeah so that's usually we usually do that as a special okay so um what's what's going on what's going to be coming up in what about a month and a half about a month or so yeah uh yeah well um as i'm sure a lot of our listeners are aware i am a regular attendee of uh, Aresia, a convention that uh, takes place here in Boston every January. And um, I've been speaking, you know, with the people that are running programming, and they have um, given a slot for Bigger on the Inside to do a live recording <laughs> at the convention. Yes, we will be we will be doing a live recording on uh, the Sunday. Let me see. I've actually got the date in front of me, in theory. Uh, how does calendars work right (laughs) (laughs) okay sunday uh january the 15th at 5 30 uh at the western waterfront hotel in the alcott room Mm -hmm. um yeah this is this is uh this is kind of (laughs) cool yeah so now um how uh, how how are, how are you running this? Uh, like, well, so let's fill me in because I don't have all the details. Yeah. Let's just okay. First of all, let's just say uh, Mike uh, unfortunately is not going to be there. Yeah, unless people want to fly me into Boston, you know, you fly you into Boston, you know, <laughs> and my uh, wife put too. you up in the hotel, you know, <laughs> all of that. Pay for your you know your your, your membership, and unfortunately, <laughs> yes, unfortunately, Mike was not able to make it. Yeah. Mike, uh, 
I said, hey, Mike, you, know, you have a very limited amount of vacation time. How does Boston in January sound? <laughs> <laughs> he, he, could not, he could not make those plans fast enough. Yeah, um, no. no. <laughs> unfortunately. Unfortunately, Mike will not be there. Um, it will be myself and um, a very good friend of the show, Andy Hicks, mm-hmm. uh, who's, who's you know, written in many times. He um, you know, has contributed actually some musical montages, a couple, mm-hmm. and uh, I've paneled with him many times at several conventions. So, good guy. Uh, very, 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 very good panelist. So I'm very excited to be to be working with him. Mm-hmm. And what's going to be happening is we will be sitting in the room, and I'm going to be plugging into the mixing board, and we'll be recording as we go. Yeah. It'll, it'll feel a lot like a panel, but um, it will just be kind of doing it live with a room. So, and, it'll be really Do you, again, maybe... You don't have everything ironed out yet. Maybe you can't even say. Maybe you don't want to. You want to have a little bit of suspense there. Do you have certain topics you've already got uh, sort of queued up? Uh, what, what do you plan on discussing? Well, the, uh, the, as we sit here, of course, everything that I say can change between now and then. Sure. It's, you know, it's a month between now and then, and anything can change. As it stands right now, the topic that we've got kind of penciled out is we're going to be speaking about the uh, fandom in the wilderness years. Ah, yes. Uh, the years between 1989 and 2005, when Doctor Who fandom kind of took over the property as a whole, mm-hmm. and how that actually led to the bringing the series back. Um, and our own experiences, because Andy and I both became fans during that time. Oh, yes. So it was a really interesting, really cool time to be a fan of the show, when uh, there really wasn't a lot of official new stuff coming out. Mm-hmm. So we were just kind of making our own. Yeah, and, and and arguing about it online. <laughs> <laughs> arguing online, you say? Oh, how the internet has changed! Oh wait, yeah. Well, no, not so much. No, unfortunately. Uh, but no, it'll be it'll be really cool. And the um, the people at the convention have been amazing. They've been uh, very generous with their with their time. And yeah, it's it's just I'm really looking forward to this. This is really exciting. Yeah, yeah. Now, are there Again, I don't know what you can speak about. Are there other panels that you're going to be on? Can you talk about them? Yeah, actually, I might as well. Uh, I am, I'm on two other panels as it stands right now. Um, I'm on one about the uh, DC Cinematic Universe mm. of this past year. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, a whoa, my God, what the hell just happened? <laughs> why, why haven't they fixed this yet? Mm. And I'm, on, I'm actually moderating a panel on podcasting. Mm-hmm. So... Which is uh, a topic that I've actually been trying to push through for a couple of years now, and they've uh, they've they've accepted it this year. So um, that'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah. And uh, do you have the uh, the dates and times for those ones? I actually do. Um, I'll be on the uh, the DC panel is on Friday afternoon, I believe, also at five thirty, and the um, podcasting panel is on Saturday afternoon at uh, no, not one. I had to change that. <laughs> Uh, that I don't have in front of me, but okay. I do know it's Saturday afternoon. Excellent, excellent. Well, we'll try to uh, keep people updated as best we can um, in case there are any changes or even just to remind people, hey, because people can, can still buy tickets to the con, they, right? I absolutely, you can still buy memberships. If, if you are in the area and it's something that sounds interesting to you, it is, again, it's in Boston. It is the weekend. Of, it's Martin Luther King weekend um, beginning on January the 13th. It's four days. It is, I believe, 
right now pre-sale memberships are going for fifty dollars, but I don't know that for sure. Uh, but yeah, if that's a thing that sounds interesting to you, please come on down. We'd love to see you. And that uh, that's that's a three-day membership. It's a four-day membership. Four-day. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. It's a Friday through the Monday. Oh yeah, I always forget that it's that it goes that to that Monday. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. And by by the time it's over, you're 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 very hungover and praying for death. <laughs> It, Wendy actually, uh, uh, Wendy, Wendy will also be there, and she's on uh, she's on a panel herself mm. on on belly dance, which is very very cool, and she's in the belly dance show, which is always a lot of fun. Mm. So yeah, come on down, watch watch Wendy dance, tell her how amazing she is. <laughs> yes, watch me fumble my way through a live recording and tell me what I did wrong. <laughs> do you do you uh, have the times of uh, Wendy's shows and panels handy? Wendy's uh, the dance uh, the dance show is on Sunday night, uh, Saturday night mm-hmm. at seven, and her panel is also Saturday afternoon, and that is at one. Ah, excellent. Okay. Please, please, please come down. It would be really great to, yeah. to see. I have actually in the past run into a couple of listeners, which was like a really wild experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, one time I was talking to somebody, and somebody actually walked up to me because they recognized my voice. Wow. Which was a little weird, but uh, also very cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Um, so speaking of uh, Bigger on the Inside specials or future episodes, um We've gotten several questions asking us if we were going to be covering the uh, new animated version of Power of the Daleks. Yes, yes, we have. And the answer is yes, we will be covering it at some point. (laughs) We can't say when because it's a matter of uh, it's it's already out on DVD in the UK. I think that's what we figured out, right? It is. Yes, the UK has has it already. Right, but in the US, um it is not on DVD yet. And I think um what did you tell me? It's coming out episode by episode on BBC America right now. BBC America is showing it once a week. Uh as we sit here and record this, the I believe the fourth episode came out last night. Okay. And is that was it a six episode story? I don't remember. Yes, yes oh, it was. Okay. So there's still then two more weeks again as of this recording for that to finish up and yeah i think it's like middle of january or late january is when it comes out on dvd in america that's correct yeah i could be wrong about that but once it's out there yes there will be coverage of it um we don't know if it's do you think we'll do an episode proper that's what we did last time we did we did um yeah yeah so so yeah it'll probably be an episode proper um but either way yes there will be coverage of it um we just can't say when yet that's all. Yeah. yeah, it just uh, we just have not been able to uh, get our hands on mm-hmm. the story as a whole. Yeah, because it's just not available. Yeah, I really contemplated buying that UK DVD, mm-hmm. but I'm like, I don't think I have a way to play that. Um, with the, <laughs> you could with, probably fool your computer into playing it for you, but uh, you can wait. You can wait a month. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like I know there are ways in the tricking computers into being different regions or region free. And I'm like, I, no, yeah, it's, there's no rush. <laughs> We've waited this long to get it. You know, we can wait a little longer to discuss it, view it and discuss it, I should say. Exactly. I will say that I have been watching it. Mm-hmm. So um, it's been, it's been a, a really cool experience to be able to see, actually, actually see it. Mm-hmm. And do you want to give little thoughts right now or do you want to hold off? Um, I mean, just to kind of just just just, just a vague thing. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's it's as good as I remember it being. You know, I remember enjoying it, even though the the 
construction was awful, as I recall. Mm-hmm. But um, like like just just hard to watch and, and difficult to understand. Mm-hmm. But the story is quite good, okay. and it's nice to actually be able to see people moving around, even if it's the animation is kind of what we're used to with these with the animation. Mm-hmm. You know, not not brilliant, but at least we get to see the story. Sleep dust. Sleep dust. You're kidding. Well, do I look like I'm kidding? Is this a kidding face? Ask the crew of the station if they're kidding, or what's left of them. But sleep dust. Yes, the stuff in the corner of your eye. The stuff you wipe away every morning when you wake up. It's ridiculous. This is getting us nowhere. Okay, how, Doctor? How can those things be made of sleep dust? Well, when we sleep, the mucus crust builds up in our eyes. Blood cells, skin cells, that's what dust largely is. Human skin. But your meddling has evolved it, hothoused it. What used to be sleep in your eye has turned into a carnivorous life form. You can't just throw accusations like that around. So the longer you're in Morpheus, the more the dust builds up. That's slander. Lying there in those pods, people are already made food source. Well, where are they then? Where's the crew? Digested. Come on, we need to find Deep Handle. So first up today is Sleep No More. In this Attack one... of the Eye Booger Monsters. <laughs> there we go. Let's talk about this one. <laughs> That's the plot. Um, in this one, uh, I will say it's rather inventive storytelling for Doctor Who. We've never really seen a story like uh, done like this before, mm-hmm. where it's all from the point of view of a scientist or a doctor named, and what did you say it was, Rasmussen? Rasmussen. Rasmussen. That's it. Um, who has collected pieces of found footage, and we'll get into that found footage aspect later on, and he's compiled it all together as a sort of confession as a telling of what happened I guess I don't know but there's a twist at the end that we'll get to as well well what's going on here is there's a space station uh, orbiting I think it was Neptune and um, all the crew has disappeared and so a military team has arrived to investigate and the team is and pardon me if I'm butchering these names here uh, Chopra uh, Nagata, I think she was the leader, right? Yes, she was. Then there was Deep Ando, and then someone named 474, and he is a, uh, like a fast-grown military clone. Um, very, you know, very, you know, it's a lot of brute strength, but the intelligence is, is not quite there, and that's just how they are bred. Well, they're going in to investigate where the crew is, and lo and behold, the Doctor and Clara are already on the station doing their own little bit of investigating because pff, they found an abandoned space station in Earth's future around Neptune. Pff, why not investigate this thing? Um, one thing leads to another, and there are indeed monsters on here. And um, it turns out that um, there is someone left on the station, um, and it is the Doctor who's sort of narrating and putting all of this uh footage together. I keep calling him a doctor. I think he is... This is a scientist. I guess he'd be a doctor. Okay, anyways. um, He's in, like, this sleeping pod called Morpheus. And uh, he reveals that what Morpheus does is it compresses all of your sleep for, I think, one month into a five-minute burst. That's essentially what it did, right? Mm -hmm. And um, this is is the way humankind has... um, 
sort of overcome sleep as a way to be more productive um, in the workplace. That's what this is all about, is making more money off the backs of your average citizens. No, I'm not getting political there. Uh, (laughs) uh, But there is a member of the team, and I believe it was uh, uh, Chopra, Chopra? Um, who's like, no, I, I don't do these things. I actually sleep. I enjoy sleeping. Fuck that noise. You know, um, that's kind of important to the story. Well, the side effect of this thing is that it takes, as Dan put it, <laughs> the crusty eye boogers that you have every night when you wake up and they have evolved somehow and they have turned into these walking monstrosities that uh, they can hear, but they can't see. And the reason they can't see has something to do with the found footage angle because all of the dust in the air, which, of course, as the doctor so kindly reminds us, is mostly human skin, um, have somehow become the optical nerves, the, the, the sensors, I guess, that allow the scientists to tap into that to grab all this footage, right? Yeah, I, I don't think about it too hard. Yeah, I just kept going to a transmit place where, like, there's, like, every air molecule has a camera in it. I'm like, okay, whatever. If I, if I go that route, it makes sense to me, I guess. I don't know. Um, so, let's see. People start getting picked off left, right, and center to the point where the only people that are left at the end are Clara, the doctor. Oh, and Clara wound up in one of those machines that reached out and grabbed her, pulled her in, and she had a five-minute sleep. Um, and that may be important for later. It's not, but it could be. But they hint that it might be, but it's not. So um, the only people that are left are Clara, the doctor, the scientist, and um, Nagata. Um, let's see. It's revealed that the scientist is actually uh, a bad guy, and he's got like a patient zero in a chamber who like hasn't slept for five years or something. And that's sort of where all these monsters came from, I guess. Um, the doctor, Clara, and I got to get off the station um, as the doc- after the doctor triggers it to uh, self-destruct. And right at the end of the video, um, the scientist who at this point I think has died at least, quote unquote, died at least once, potentially twice, reveals, oh, my plan was for this to happen this way. And by you watching this video, I've actually infected you with the eye booger crusty monster man. Ooh, I warned you not to watch it. And it ends with the doctor really not saving the day. I mean, the station explodes, people die, and the monsters are still out there, and the villain executed his plan. Whatever that plan was, I don't care. I don't know. But (laughs) there it is. Anything you want to add to this one? Not really. Okay, what were you thinking of Sleep No More? I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, one thing that, before I say anything else about the story itself, there's actually one aspect of the story that kind of bugs me. Uh Uh-huh that I, I really want to address, um, which is 474. Mm-hmm. Um, 474 is played by Bethany Black, who is the first openly trans actor on Doctor Who. Oh. And I kind of have a problem with the first openly trans actor on Doctor Who playing the giant weird thing that was grown in a lab. Oh, okay. You know? Oh, there's something weird and creepy and dangerous about this thing. Mm-hmm. And that that rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, and knowing that, that actually, because uh, 474 keeps reading, re- reaching out to uh, Chopra and saying, pretty, pretty, and trying to touch him. And Chopra keeps, like, slapping 474 mm-hmm. away. Yeah. Um, so, wow, that, that 
Wow, that does. Oof. Okay. Because yeah, yeah, I didn't know that about that the, is that's tone deaf right there. Yeah, that is that is bad. Because um, I, I I didn't know that about the uh, the actor. Because um, I was I was uncomfortable with the you're pretty and the hand getting slapped away a- aspect of it. But now knowing that the actor is trans, that does. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was actually kind of a thing that was part of the marketing of the episode. Oh was hey look what we did woohoo mm-hmm. and um it's like no guys no yeah yeah that was i didn't i did not think that, that was done well mm-hmm. at all i did not think that, that served any any purpose other than just uh, i don't know what exactly yeah. Uh, yeah i didn't like that mm-hmm. as for the episode itself um okay first of all it's trying to do something different mm-hmm. which i always give the show credit for um, they try to set it up as a found footage episode. Although, by saying everybody's got cameras in their eyes and also we're going to splice images from the wall cameras and what have you, it basically means that the found footage aspect doesn't add or affect the episode at all. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what was the point of this? Right. Um, yeah, so there's that. And it's also very openly trying to, and I think successfully, um, recreating a, a Troughton era story. Oh, yeah, I could see that. I, you're right, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's obviously, I mean, it's based under siege, for one thing. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a very Troughton era aspect to the story. You know, you're running from the monsters. I love, I do love the fact that this takes place inside our solar system. Mm-hmm. Like, at, because that was a big thing back then. Um, you know, oh, this is a space station orbiting Triton, which is orbiting Neptune, which doesn't, you know, sound as impressive as, you know, we're halfway across the galaxy. But you know what? Getting a space station out on Triton is still pretty fucking impressive. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's still going to take a lot of work in a long time. It's still pretty far away. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that that's a very Troughton era kind of thing. I mm-hmm. like that a lot. The story itself, though, um, is not very good. The the I mean the monsters are ridiculous. Yeah, they look terrible. They're really not that scary. Um, it is just a lot of running up and down corridors and not doing anything about it. Yeah, and as you say, it doesn't really get resolved so much as they manage to escape. Mm-hmm. And the monsters are still out there, and the plan is still, you know, again the the, the villain's plan worked. He got his signal out to Earth and. That's it. <laughs> it. It's boring. It's kind of... I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for is. Um, derivative. It's it's very mm-hmm. derivative of, of... You know, again, they did it the couple of years before with Cold War, which was a much better episode than this. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, overall, I, I, I was very disappointed by this episode. I give it credit for trying something different, but it didn't do it very successfully, I thought. Yeah. What about you? Um, speaking of the, the monsters specifically, mm-hmm. um, when, you know how they, they're, they're, when their mouths were open, I think their mouths were always open, but it was like this big gaping maw. Yeah. I couldn't take them seriously because all I could think of were like the Yip Yip monsters from Sesame yeah. Street. 
Thank you. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what I was trying to think of. When, when like, those what things... is that reminding me of? <laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, when they've got their mouths open, it's that same exact exact shape and size and everything. Mm-hmm. And I just keep going to this Sesame Street place where I'm like, those are my, <laughs> one of my favorite monsters. <laughs> <laughs> the Sandmen are the Yip Yip monsters from Sesame Street. Yes. That's absolutely right. <laughs> um. So that wasn't entirely successful for me. Um, and when it comes to the actual found footage aspect of this, I have, I have two thoughts. One is, and this is always a problem with found footage movies, mm-hmm. who edited this? The yep. whole thing is that he's supposed to put being, he, he supposedly put it together, again, as a confession or telling his side of the story or whatever. But is he doing that? Like as the station's crashing, I know it's a niggle, but it's like, is he live editing? Not. Like, who? If you're going to do a found footage story, and you're saying the ending is actually taking place, the whole thing, his telling of it is taking place from the moment the Doctor left the, the TARDIS to the point when the space station's going to self destruct. There's only a few seconds there, so like timeline wise, I it, that that bugs me. Yeah, I mean, you you say it's a niggle, and I honestly I don't think it is. I think it's a very valid concern. And it, and it is true. This is something that kind of goes across the board with all found footage movies, but especially here. When when did he have time to do this? Yeah. You know, why would he sit down and edit this movie together before transmitting it? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. Like, he went and he gathered all the footage from all the different sources, all the people's eyes, cameras, or whatever it was, all the dust that was floating in the air, and he sat down and you know, edit it into like a nice little 22 minute package <laughs> before transmitting it to Earth. Yeah. You can't watch a found footage movie without that at least once running through your head. Right. And honestly, if you spend the entire time thinking that, then it's not doing its job. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right at the end when it's, it was revealed, I mean, you, you can be pretty sure that he's the villain almost straight away. Oh, yeah. You know, but once it's like, wait a minute, you get to the end, you're like, he has no time to do this. What are you doing? <laughs> But, but the other aspect of the found footage thing, uh, every time they would cut to him close up in the camera, sort of narrating, or the doctor, because the doctor realizes he's being recorded, that there's a camera several times before it's actually revealed that there aren't, like, body cams or helmet mm-hmm. cams, like, because he keeps, like, almost breaking the fourth wall by looking straight at the camera. Like, right. he's, he's looking at something, specifically, like, when he's talking to Clara, and whenever that would happen, I kept going to a 1990s full motion video video game. Oof. You know? And I yeah. love Command and Conquer and all those cutscenes. And uh, what were the Star Wars ones with the FMVs? Um, uh, Jedi Knight, Dark yeah, Forces. Yeah, those ones. Yeah. I loved those games. They were so. I mean, cheesy as hell, but yeah. <laughs> absolutely. But they were inventive. It was a new way to tell stories, it was a new way to tell video games. But when I'm getting that vibe on something 20 years past the prime of that, it doesn't quite work. Again, I really do appreciate them trying to do something new with Doctor Who. That is always going to be appreciated by me. But it it, it just, the whole package didn't come together for me because I kept thinking of Sesame Street Monsters, who edited this, and 1990 video games, which I would rather be playing than watching this. (laughs) I wanted to break out my Command and Conquer, edit the INI file, and start shooting bullets that are nuclear missiles. I mean, come on. You know, I'm sure other people did that. I don't think I'm the only one. You are not. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, when I figured out you could edit those files, yeah. oh, oh, I broke that game. Yeah. 
win a stage in one minute. Done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All you have to do, yeah, you know, just kind of go in, break the code, so, you know, just just kind of you know type in you know enable God mode and mm-hmm. just stride the earth like a mighty colossus. <laughs> For some reason, years ago, I, I was telling Shana about that very thing with Command and Conquer, and she just looked at me and she just goes, "Why would you even think to do that?" <laughs> Because I was bored and I liked the game and I wanted to break it. Why not? Yeah. Who doesn't want to break a game? Exactly. <laughs> All I want to do is just have everything go my way very, very easily. Yes. I don't is want to work so for wrong? it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it was back to Sleep No More here. I, what I would like to do is I actually want to rip the audio of this one mm-hmm. and listen to it. Because I think if this had been a big finish, if we just have the audio, mm. it'll work. A lot of times, this uh, almost from the very start, with the way his audio was being recorded, it was a little different than the audio in a typical Doctor Who episode. I was getting such a big finish vibe. Yeah. And all you would have to do is make a few subtle edits. Anytime they mention cameras or video, you simply change that to microphones or audio recording. Like, just make a mental... You can either do it in the edit or do a mental shift whenever they say that. Okay, this is what they mean. And I think this would be a lot better in that capacity. I wanted to do it before this recording. I just didn't. As as we both discovered, we barely had time for breakfast before recording. (laughs) (laughs) But I I really want to do that. I want to sit down, rip out the audio, and just listen to it. I think we would be surprised with the results. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that... I think that's that's a really cool idea. I think you're probably right. This is Mark Gatiss who wrote this. And, of course, Mark Gatiss tends to either be really, really good or really, really not so good. Yeah. Um, but he was also a, a, an early contributor to Big Finish, and he, he wrote that. He writes that type of thing very, very well. And I think you're right. I think that the audio of this episode was, was a highlight yeah. because... Honestly, the, video, the visuals really weren't. Right. You know, the uh, the Sandman costumes really were not very effective and honestly tended to ruin the, any scene that they actually appeared in. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they did. They just look, they looked like the big rubber poop monster from Dogma. Right. Honestly, they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not even a joke. That's what they looked like. They did, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> with, the, with the Sesame Street, you get monster mouths. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, giving them a cool name does not really affect the fact that that's what they looked like. Yeah. And it, it, it really, really broke the story when they appeared, I mm, thought. Absolutely. You know, just even taking apart the fact that just the episode as a whole was not very remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind if we talk about the, the actors in this one a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to the scientist, another thing, going back to the audio component... Whenever I would look away, because I'll admit I was playing Yahtzee on my phone through a portion of this, which is where I think I got the idea of just listening to it as a big finish, I would get confused because he sounded so much like the Fifth Doctor at times. Yeah, that was, uh, the actor's name is Reese Shearsmith, Mm -hmm. who is one of the League of Gentlemen with Mark Gatiss. Oh, okay. And did you watch, um, did you watch an adventure in space and time? I've never finished it because the file I had was corrupt. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I've never gotten my hands on a new one. But the part I, did, I liked, or the part I saw, which was maybe half, a little more than half, I really did enjoy. Oh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And he actually played Pat Troughton at the very end. Oh, wow. Cool. Okay. Yeah, he did. He did. 
Um, oh yeah, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I would definitely make time to find and watch that. Okay. Um, and I thought he was he was decent. I mean, again, the part wasn't very fleshed out, mm-hmm. so he didn't really have a lot to work with. But what he did was fine. Yeah. Um, and as for, I mean, everybody else was okay. Mm-hmm. Not terrific, not awful. I don't know. What, what, what do you think? Well, I liked, I liked Chopra to some extent mm-hmm. because he was essentially the outsider. The yeah, he, he, he hit a part. Right, exactly. Like <laughs> the, the leader was the leader. Deep Ando is the one who gets lost. And 474 is the muscle, the, 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 the Lenny, if you will, you know, mm-hmm. um, but, but. Chopra, as you said, had a part. He had something to do. And I liked this aspect of him saying no to the new societal norms. Um, that he's like, I'm not going to use these sleep pods. I don't care about using them. And um, and so, and there's also, though it is a little cliched, his storyline with 474, mm-hmm. where he doesn't, he doesn't like the clone, but then he has a respect for him by the end after the clone dies because he saves him you know i mean it was it was cliched we've seen that a thousand times before but i think they sold it well within the confines of their characters one thing that i did like about chopra and his refusal to use uh to use morpheus Mm -hmm. it was less you know this is dangerous and don't you see sheeple Right, as he was basically being treated as the guy. I don't own a television device. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and everybody just kind of rolling their eyes at him, saying, "All right, yes, we get it. You don't use it. That's fine. Whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can shut up about it now." Yeah, to the point. Tell us more about how vegan you are, Joe. <laughs> To the point where uh, as things are getting rough and they figure out that the machines are creating the uh, the, the, the Sandmen, uh, Nagata is like, now is not the time to gloat, dude. <laughs> or not the time to say I told you so or whatever. Right. You know. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, like when he starts out, like he is just going on and on and on. And I'm like, you, dude, are so annoying. Shut up. But then I realized that's what they're going for. And I appreciated the fact that they dedicated time to make the character annoying. But then by the end, I think you better understand him mm-hmm. um, and why he was going on and on at the beginning. Because that's all he's doing. You know, he's he, he is exactly doing exactly what you just said. Yeah. You know, society he's, he's, sucks. Yeah. They're all they're all going to the restaurant, and he's the one that says, uh, "Excuse me, I'm going to need to see a gluten free menu." <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's very important that everybody understands that I don't eat gluten. <laughs> and how did he die? I don't remember him dying. Uh. He he and 474, what did they do? Well, 474 well, seven, sacrificed herself. Yeah. And then, oh, no, he was just, he, there was just like a Sandman waiting for him. Like, he got back to the ship and then, was and then, it, it just it just killed him. Yeah, did he got pulled off screen or something, didn't he? I think so, yeah. Okay, because I was, I was kind of, confu- like I said, I was, well, not kind, I was confused. I'm like, I know he dies, but I wasn't sure how. You know, I mean, I know a Sandman. I just didn't. Maybe I didn't yeah. see it because I was playing Yahtzee. I don't know. Very and, possible. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, and this one, you know, again, a little inventive and having no opening. 
mm-hmm. we get the little matrixy stuff and then it flashes yeah. doctor who and that's it no theme no nothing and i thought that was cool again because why would the scientist put the doctor who theme and <laughs> <in> opening <laughs> credits in his production if in the because that's the whole point it's like this is a story that happens within the world it's right. not supposed to be us watching doctor who it's supposed to be us on earth or wherever seeing this signal that he's blasted out yeah, I wouldn't yeah. want them to do it all the time, but it was important that they did it in this, I think. She's found at the entrance to the street. No weapon on the scene, but the cause of death is likely the head wound. Seems she was knocked to the cobblestones. Seems. You've sentenced Riggsy to death, yet you don't know exactly what's going on. He was found over the body. My people were angry. Frightened, I had to act. This is ridiculous. This is. What was is... her name? Anna. We're keeping her here until someone can take her home for burial. She's a Janus. She escaped slavery. She fled here with her child. The child, a daughter? No, a boy. Is that bad? No, it's not bad. It's just unhelpful. A daughter might have seen who killed her mother. The female Janus is psychic. One face sees into the future, the other looks behind her into the past. I think we saw her son outside. Clara, what if I did do it? I mean, I wouldn't have meant to hurt her, but what if I wandered in and saw what she really looked like? What if I freaked? You didn't just wander in here. You were called here at 6 a.m. by a number from a mystery phone. There is no way you did this. So what then? You think someone called him here? Set him up? Yes, obviously. Which means one of your pet aliens out there is the real killer. Excuse me, I'm sorry. So second up today is Face the Raven. And after much back and forth, we decided to cover this as its own piece and then move on to um, Heaven Sent and Hellbent, even though they do form sort of a loose three-parter, much in the way Utopia did with The Sound of Drums and Last of the Time Lords. But um, basically, because this one doesn't go directly to Heaven Sent, um, we're going to do it as its own thing. I think that's what we decided, right? Yes, that's what we Okay. We just had this conversation like literally sixty seconds ago. <laughs> yes, and I think that's what I remember. I think that's what I remember, but I can't be totally sure. That's why I ask you. I know. <laughs> you know? I know. Man. You retain. Oh, getting old. Getting old sucks. <laughs> Listen to the outtake. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't mind me using that as the outtake, not at all. Okay, but uh, what do you call it? Um, where are we? I did just forget. Oh my god. Oh, Ian's gonna have a field day. So. <laughs> So, Face the Raven, um, it begins with the Doctor and Clara having, we don't see the adventure they're coming from, but it's clear it's not sleep no more. There's been something in between there. But uh, all of a sudden, the phone in the TARDIS rings, and it's, and I forget his name, I just know the Doctor calls him Local Knowledge. Riggsy. Riggsy, um, who is from the one with the flat graffiti people. Flatline. Flatline, there we go. Okay, so... He's calling uh, Clara and the doctor because um, he's got a tattoo on his neck. Okay? And it's counting down. Oh, that's a problem. So the doctor and Clara, they visit him, and it turns out he has a family now, a very young baby, um, uh, a wife or a partner. Uh, we never we never see her, but we do hear mention of her. And... Um, 
it, what's on the back of his neck is, uh, again, it's a countdown. And when it hits zero, he's he's going to die. And what's it called? Like a shade or? A quantum shade. Quantum shade. Okay, thank you. And he doesn't remember the last 24 hours. And when they take him to the TARDIS and they start examining him, the doctor realizes he's he's normal, he's fine, except the fact that there is retcon in his system. Hence the reason he can't remember the last 24 hours. And it's also clear that his phone, again, just for the last 24 hours, has been wiped. There's no data on there. But Clara, she sticks it into like part of the TARDIS and it's trying to recover that data. So let's see. I don't remember quite how they get there, but they start looking at trap streets. How did they get from retcon to trap streets? Because at this point, he doesn't yeah. remember, like, the so-called yeah, murder. Yeah, I don't... I, I know It's something that Clara came up with. Uh-huh. We should look for a trap street, which, of course, we should mention is um, a street on an old-timey map that doesn't exist. Yeah, to, to prevent the, uh, trademark infringement or something? That's or? exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, if we find one of those, that might be where they're hiding. I don't know where she came up with that. Yeah. And that is, in fact, what they do. Yeah. They do find it and wander into Diagon Alley, but uh, yeah, it just it just yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that, <laughs> right? Yeah, so so there's something there that we're just not remembering, but that that's fine. But that is what they wind up doing. They realize they have to they have to find uh, like a, a, a hidden culture basically because somehow they're going to have the answers. Well, right when they figure this out and they're finding the trap street, um, his phone, the data from the phone is recovered. Um, I don't really remember what we get from that. I don't even know if it's super important. But at one point, when they're standing outside the trap street, he drops the phone, and it triggers the memory of him dropping the phone 24 hours prior, and he's standing over uh, a, what would appear to be a dead body of a, 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 a woman, I don't know, like a 30s or 40s or something. And um, so now he's like, whoa, okay, this is starting to come back to me. And all three of them, they go into this, this hidden area. And it turns out this area is a, a refugee camp for um, aliens of all sorts. They look like humans because um, there's like these little like uh, worms or something in the lamplights that uh, you know give, make you see what you are prepared mentally to see. So you're just really going to see humans. But in truth, they are Cybermen. They are Zygons. They are Jadoon. They are Daleks. They are creatures I think we've never even seen before. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that... Uh, and I'm sorry, Riggsy, you said? That's right. Riggsy um, is blamed for the murder of that woman outside the street. And so he was punished and given um, that, that, that shade, that quantum shade... Um, so he could go and say goodbye to his uh, family before he did die. And it turned out he was given this by me, by a shielder, who is running this. Uh, she's sort of the mayor of, of this uh, refugee camp, as it were. And uh, eventually we see how this works. When the countdown hit zero, um, this, this raven appears as poofs into a cloud, poofs back into a raven, and it swoops into the uh, victim's torso, and they fall dead. We see that happen to um, an older man who stole, I think, medical rations to try to save his wife. And it's hinted, or it's actually flat out said that that guy was a Cyberman, if I recall. Um, 
but we see him acting in a very loving, human-like way. So now we know what is in store for Rigsy. Uh, but the doctor's like, something about this just doesn't make sense. Like, what, like, what is this all about? Um, so they start doing investigating because they know he, there's no way he would have committed murder. He's just not that type of guy. Um, so they start investigating and uh, a shielder me says, you know, if you can figure this out, I'll take that quantum shade off his neck. Um, well, Clara finds out that you can actually take the, 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 the countdown can be given to someone else if that someone else is willing to take it. Um, so she gets the bright idea. Hey, I'll take that countdown from you because a shielder has said Clara is under her personal protection. So she's like, she won't let me die if I take this. So give it to me and we're good. So she winds up getting it from Rigsy. Um, they find out that the victim was part of an alien race where the females are psychic. Um, and the, the, uh, she was a mother, she had a son, they find the son. It turns out the son is actually a female, but she's been being, um, disguised as a boy because she doesn't want her daughter to be used for her psychic powers, essentially. And the, the daughter reveals, look, this whole thing sort of kind of reveals that there, there's a ruse going on here. This was all about getting the doctor. So the doctor confronts a uh, shielder, confronts me, and it turns out that is what this is. But it's really not her doing, per se. She used Rigsy because she knew, somehow found out that he was uh, friends with the doctor. And she, she doesn't say by who, she was charged with getting a hold of the doctor, getting his um, confession dial, and having him teleported off somewhere. Um, and we'll get into that into the next story and the one after that. But the big rub here is that Clara, when she took the quantum shade, well, once you take it, it cut a shielder out of the contract with the shade, I think. And now Clara's got to die. It can't be undone at this point. And there's a lot of like, oh my God, oh my God, what's going to happen? And well, the doctor and Clara have to say goodbye to each other. And they do. And she goes out into the uh, street there and the, the shade comes, hits her in the chest and she falls to her death. Uh, but not before uh, making the doctor promise that he will not seek revenge on the people who did this. The doctor, after watching Clara die, promptly comes back into a shoulder's house and says, you know that promise I just made? <laughs> 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 that shit's not going to happen. Um <laughs> And he is teleported away, um, not knowing where he is going to end up. Um, the only other thing I think I will add here is that it turns out that woman was not dead. She was actually just put into a stasis field. Uh, so uh, mother and daughter are reunited. Um, so there's a, some happiness in this one. And, and Riggsy lives. He gets to, we don't see it, but he gets to go back to his family. So is there anything else we should add in there? I don't think so. I mean, we'll unpack this as we talk about mm -hmm. it. Right? You got the the flow of the story. Okay. So, what do you think about feel the or face the raven? On the whole, I like it a lot. Mm -hmm. um, it is it's an interesting idea. I like the idea of a refugee camp, kind of hidden in the kind of middle of London that nobody knows about. Yeah, uh, with a very kind of Victorian look to it. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, the the mystery is interesting to me. 
Um, and, and, and they play fair with it, which is nice. Mm-hmm. So we actually get to see them doing actual investigating, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. But really, I mean, this whole episode is the last 15 minutes. Yeah. And th- those are some of the best 15 minutes that's ever been on this show, mm-hmm. I think. Um, you know, Jenna Coleman is phenomenal. You know, her her scenes are, are wonderful. And Capaldi is just terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. And I do like a big thing that I really walked away from this episode was that they've spent this series playing up the fact that Clara's trust and faith in the Doctor is so absolute that she's doing a lot of really stupid things. Yeah, She's making a lot of really stupid mistakes, putting herself in danger that she doesn't need to put herself in, and it's finally bit her on the ass. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't something that, that they just come up with this, this episode or even the episode before. They've been doing this over the course of this whole year. Yeah. Which I think makes it work really, really well. Um, so yeah, on the whole, really like this episode. What about you? Well, that's what I was hoping they would do with her after, um, and I told, I'm blanking on his name, her boyfriend. Danny. Danny. After Danny died, um, I was really hoping that this is exactly where they would take her. Is this very reckless, s- taking stupid chances place? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really great to see it pay off, um, and the way it pays off. I know we get more of her in the next two episodes, but this is an amazing goodbye mm-hmm. between Doctor and Companion. Um, it may be the best acted, most heartfelt. Uh, potentially even tear-jerking goodbye we have before we get to the one in two episodes time (laughs) where they do it again and you're like, how did you do that again to me? Damn it. (laughs) It's so dusty in here. Or is that a sleep monster? Yep, yep. Oh, wait, no. Anyways. um, But yeah, so this episode lies in the strength of those two performances right there. As you said, in the last 15 minutes. Um, I mean, I like the stuff before that, the investigation, seeing Riggsy again, uh, learning he has a family. The line, did you make this human, might be one of my new favorite. <laughs> the doctor has no clue <laughs> about life and humans line we have ever seen. It, it was, in a way, it was a fourth doctor line, but Capaldi made it his own, you know? Did yeah, you absolutely. make this human? <laughs> Let's take her with. On second thought, no. I'll be distracted, you know? <laughs> He was throwing a baby into into the fray. Again, he has no fucking clue. Um, so we get really good stuff like that. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I I do definitely enjoy this one a lot. Um, yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's what I have to say about this one. Is sort of my opening thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's it is it's really really good, and it, we could sit here and talk about the episode as a whole, but really it is the it is the last third or so mm-hmm. that you really walk away from the episode remembering, mm-hmm. and just Capaldi, once he understands what's happening, what's about to happen, this is why you cast this guy, right? <laughs> essentially, is he you know he can be funny, he can be charming, he can be cranky, all of that, but when he's angry. You can't you can't not look at him, mm-hmm. and he's just sitting there promising to to rain hell on a shoulder and everything that she might ever think about caring about. Mm-hmm. 
and it's it's really like it's really unsettling when he threatens before, you know, when he's still in the denial phase, I mean, he knows that this thing can't be taken off Clara, that she only has minutes left. Mm-hmm. But when he's still in that denial and anger phase, and he is telling a shoulder, give me one minute, and I'll have unit, cybers, Daleks, everybody <laughs> here to burn you to the ground. <sighs> wow. You know, we've seen other doctors get angry. Um... But this, this is the best it's ever been done. It really is. Um, yeah, I, I don't know where he's pulling that from. And I know he's known for playing, we'll say, grumpy characters. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where he's able to channel that from. But bless him for being able to do that and mm-hmm. direct that into acting. Because his face completely changes from confused doctor, from fun doctor to angry doctor. You look at him and you see that angry face on him, and I almost don't even recognize him mm-hmm. anymore. And I think that's a really good thing. You Agreed. Know, um, his his facial acting is some of the best we've ever seen on Doctor Who, and I would say across the board. Oh, I would absolutely one hundred percent agree with that. Mm-hmm. He can act with his face like nobody else. Yeah, and we've mentioned that before. We've mentioned that he's very, very good at facial acting. Um, because you're right. I mean, it's, it's just, just, just this, just this twisted with rage thing that he's able to call into existence mm-hmm. at a moment's notice. Yeah. Because of course he's kind of a scary looking guy anyway. Right, yeah. Just kind of his natural resting face is, you know, oh my god, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> but when he truly gets upset or angry, it turns into something that A, you can't look away from. And B, you never actually want to run across in real life. Right. It's it's very powerful stuff. Yeah. On the heels of, you know, we're really upset about what's happening to Clara because Jenna Coleman has just gone through this amazing speech. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, before we actually see what's what, what happens to her. You know, and and she's spending her, her final moments trying to get him to not do exactly what he's about to do. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing that this is probably not going to work, yeah, um, it is. It's just it's just very very powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, when when the show when the show is is on, it's on, mm-hmm. and it's it's very very on. Yeah, in that in those moments. Yeah. Um, and I was I was glad that because earlier when we saw the Raven take that uh, older guy. Um, he runs, and they make a comment. Everybody runs. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was very glad that she f- they had her not do that, mm-hmm. that they had her face her death uh, head on, because it one it it shows the strength of this character that she's ready for this, and maybe in some way she was asking for this, mm-hmm. you know, um, but it also plays into what we will see in Hell Bent. Mm-hmm. And who's the one that's really running? And it's not her. You know, it's it's the doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it works from a character standpoint and a story standpoint. When you can hit both of those in writing, you're doing an exceptionally wonderful job, I feel. Uh, what about a shielder? So she's back. Do you want to talk about her some? Or... Yeah. Not that I... she's been gone for that long. but you <laughs> no, know. seriously, seriously. <laughs> she did feel a little mannered in this, I thought. What do you mean? Like, um, not as natural. Okay. As she did in her earlier episodes. Yeah. But, 
but she is playing a role. Like a shielder is playing a role. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah. Because like as soon as everything starts to go to shit, she she gets she becomes you know oh wait no 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 wait 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 no no this isn't no this isn't what I wanted. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that felt really good. So maybe maybe that was intentional. Okay. Um. But yeah, I thought I thought she did a good job, and I'm I'm, I'm happy to see her back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I always get the sense with her like, you know, maybe I'll save that for when we're actually done with all of this and she's going to pop up again. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll bite. It's really hard, but I'll bite my tongue there. <laughs> okay. um, but in this one specifically, yeah, the first time she shows up, it, she did seem a little stiff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I can kind of see what you're saying there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what else about this one? Honestly, I'm not sure what else there is. It's a great episode. Yeah. Um, Although again, the bulk of that greatness is in the last last third or so, but the rest of it's you know engaging. I mean, it's great to see Rigsy. Rigsy's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, um, you know. Um, but it's fun, but unremarkable until until the end. The last square on the board. What else would it be? The TARDIS. One confession away. Everybody. 
Get over it. Beat it. Break free. Doctor, it's time. Get up off your ass. And win. Hello again. No more confessions, sorry. But I will tell you the truth. So next up we have Heaven Sent and Hell Bent. And this one picks up with uh, the doctor uh, being teleported into uh, a, a place. We don't quite know what this place is. Uh, but before he is teleported in, we see a very bloodied, damaged hand uh, pulling a lever, then uh, falling to the ground and uh, sort of disintegrating into the sand that's there. We don't know who that is yet. But uh, that's when the doctor teleports in. And he realizes he is in a trap almost right away to the point where he steps out of the teleporter and he's continuing to tell whoever is pulling these strings, you still don't get what's going on here. Like, I may not know everything that's going on, but you have really fucked up and I am angry. Um, so he goes about walking around this labyrinth and um, he quickly comes upon some sort of uh, beastie that's uh, veiled um, has, uh, I, I don't know, alien-looking hands and is surrounded by flies. And the doctor comments, you know, when I was young, I saw a lady at a funeral that was veiled that was surrounded by flies. And that became part of my nightmares as a kid. So right there, he's starting to piece it together that this isn't necessarily reality. It is, but it's not. That it's a trap tailor-made for him. Um, well, when this, uh, the beastie, did it have a name? I know not in the episode, but at all, did it have a name? Uh, I believe it is credited as just the veil. The veil. Okay, I'll try to remember to call it the veil. So there's a moment where uh, the doctor is trapped. He honestly has no way out. And uh, the veil is about to touch him. And he, out, he says out loud, I'm afraid to die. And everything stops. The flies, the veil, everything stops. And he, he doesn't quite understand why things stopped. Uh, later on, it's revealed that because he was being honest because he was confessing that he was scared um that caused the veil to freeze in time and the entire labyrinth shifts configurations opening up new passageways that the doctor can't explore that's essentially what happened there right mm -hmm. that's right so as the doctor really the bulk of this is him walking around this labyrinth discovering piece by piece that he is not the first one that has been here to the point where um, after this scene where he jumps out a window, lands in the water, um, and has this scene where he's back in the TARDIS and he sort of explains how he survives the way he does. He slows down time mentally and comes to the TARDIS, comes to his safe space and tries to figure out a way out before the Daleks fire, or in this case, he hits the water. Well, he hits the water um, He's, he's soaking wet and he uh, walks into this room with a fireplace and he sees there are clothes and boots sitting next to the fireplace and they are actually his clothes and boots to the point where they have the little red button 
on the cuff. Um, so again, he's figuring out, hmm, what is going on here? Um, let's see. Um, so at this point is where he figures out that he has to um, keep making these, telling these truths, telling these confessions, if you will, um, to get time to stop, to get things reconfigured. And he ends up finding a room marked 12. And he's given a clue earlier that he has to find room 12. And in room 12, this is where he sees that diamond-like substance, right? That's right. And uh, on there, he sees the word home very briefly, and he assumes the TARDIS is on the other side of uh, this uh, diamond, harder-than-diamond substance. And um, it should be said the TARDIS is still in London because he was teleported away from it. So that's kind of going to not become a plot point, but he doesn't have the TARDIS until the end of the next one. Well, anyways, um, he starts telling the Vale a story. I, something about a bird chipping away at a mountain made of this stuff is what the story winds up being about, I think. Uh, just about being, it's about being uh, persistent. And uh, he keeps punching this stuff. And eventually the beastie, the veil touches him. And the, the, the veil seems to teleport away. And the doctor now is laying there, bloody and burnt, looking a lot like the hand in the beginning. The doctor reveals, because he's sort of narrating this to Clara, um, he reveals that Time Lords, it takes them a long time to die, and that's why they like to die amongst their own people, because every cell is trying to regenerate, even if it can't do that. So he figures it's going to take him like a day and a half to climb back up to the top of the tower, because he now knows what's going on and what he has to do. Um, so he's hoping he has that day and a half to do this. Well, he gets up there, and he does indeed um, put these little electrodes on his head, um, and to power the machine, he pulls the lever, he fries, he falls to the ground, he disintegrates. In the sand, he writes the word bird, which tells himself to tell the story <laughs> about the bird <laughs> chipping away at the mountain and the diamond stuff. And who should step out of the teleporter but he himself again. Because he discovered that each room, after he leaves it for a set amount of time, resets itself. So that means the control room... Um, is really just a hard drive which has a copy of himself in it and if he can give it enough energy he could basically <laughs> restore his, his computer himself to go through this all over again and there's one part i purposely left out at one point he's looking at the stars and he's like these stars are right but they're wrong they're in the wrong configuration because he knows he hasn't time traveled because by virtue of the way this teleporter is, it could only take, it could only send him like one light year away. So the stars should not be that different from where and when he was, and it was contemporary Earth. Well, he makes this comment about being 7,000 years away, and then he realizes, oh, I've been doing this for 7,000 years. And so each time, now at this point, there's like maybe 10 to 12 minutes left in the episode. We now see the doctor doing this over and over again. And he realizes that he, who's ever trapped him here wants to know about that, that hybrid thing that we heard about in uh, The Magician's Apprentice and The Witch's Familiar, I think it was. Because the doctor claims to know about it, know where it is. And whoever has him trapped here will let him out if he actually confesses where that thing is. But he will not do it. He keeps punching and chipping away at that diamond-like substance for what we figure out in the next episode is 4.5 billion years. He punches and claws his way out of this trap. Um, and when he does so, it's revealed that he was in his own confession dial. 
this entire time. And uh, he sees a young boy. He's, he's on some planet. We don't quite see what the planet is yet, but it's desert-like. And he sees a young boy, and he tells the young boy, I want you to run into the city, find someone important, and tell them I'm back. And when they ask who said this, tell them it's the guy who came the long way around. The camera pans around, and holy shit, he's on Gallifrey. That's really this one, right? Yes. Okay, so then jumping into Hellbent, mm-hmm. the doctor's on Gallifrey, and he fucks shit up. <laughs> <laughs> because he is angry at... Um, not necessarily the Time Lords, but Rassilon. Sadly, it's not Timothy Dalton anymore. Yeah. <laughs> oh, would have liked him back. But, um, yeah, he is pissed at Rassilon for, one, the Time War, but two, for orchestrating this whole thing. Um, for not necessarily orchestrating Clara's death, because that's really on her, but even just trying to pull the Doctor into the trap using Riggsy, using me, um... And then putting him in the confession dial, because that's not what the confession dial is meant to be. It's meant to be a way for Time Lords well, to just confess their sins, so to speak. But to use it as a personal trap, he takes great offense to. Um, so um, he winds up, after he confronts Rassilon, he banishes him. And he does this, well, one, because it's Rassilon and he's an asshole. But really because he wants to get control of the planet, because he wants to go to, it's not, not the stasis chamber, the... The Matrix. But before the Matrix. Where he, so oh, he the get cloisters. Clara. The cloisters. Yeah, but the, the medical facility where he gets Clara. Oh. Um... I forget what that was called. But the, the, he wants to pluck her out of time just before the raven hits her. Um, oh, right. Yeah, and he's claiming he's going to do that because she has information about the hybrid. But that's all a lie. And he really just wants to do it because he wants to pluck her out from that last moment. Um, but she has no heartbeat. That's that's really important. Any breathing she does, any blinking she does, is all just habit, really. Um, nice way to explain why the character would still be seen breathing and <laughs> blinking or whatever, you know. <laughs> but um, so he plucks her out of time. He ends up shooting the the general that we saw at the end of what was it, the day of the doctor? That's right. Yeah, um, and he ends up regenerating. Um, himself, um, and then yes, they go to the Matrix, and they're going to the Matrix. Here's where I get a little confused. What was he doing? Was he just going there to escape to get to another TARDIS? Yes, ish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they go to the Matrix. But yeah, yeah. Basically, they're they're just trying to find an, an, a new TARDIS to to escape in. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So they're using that route. It's a dangerous route, but it's the only route they have to get there. The Doctor and Clara they're tar- talking, and the General. And uh, with the sisters of Karn, mm-hmm. they they show up. They're there. Uh, we see everybody there trying to f- get their hands on the Doctor. But before that can happen, he and Clara have a heartfelt moment, and she figures out that he spent four point five billion years fighting for her when he could have just said, "Oh, here's what I know about the hybrid." And they would have let him out, and she realizes he didn't do that for her. She just like loses it. She is just so sad and happy, and I don't know what proud. I don't know. But she is, in a way, kind of mad at him that he would torture himself like that. So anyways, um, they wind up in a brand new TARDIS, and it looks like the classic TARDIS is, which is awesome. Um, They get out of there, and the doctor thinks that Clara's heartbeat should be coming back by now, but it doesn't. So that starts to really panic him, and the only place he can go is the very end of the universe. And when he does that, he sees a shoulder, he sees me there, and they talk more about the hybrid. um, And the doctor reveals to her that he's 
only thing he can do to really save Clara is to wipe her memory of him completely, and he's going to use this neural blocker. Um, Clara figures this out. She reverses the polarity of the neutron flow. That's in the story. That's not me just mm-hmm. saying it. <laughs> to actually make it work on Time Lords again, um, because she doesn't want to lose her memories of him. As she says, nobody is guaranteed tomorrow, but I'm guaranteed my past or something like that. And she will not allow him to take away her memories of him. Um, let's see. So they, they press the neural button together and it turns out she did actually reverse the polarity and, uh, it affects him. He starts to fall. Um, and they have another uh, heartfelt goodbye. Um, and she leaves him in the middle of Nevada. And uh, there's been this whole framing sequence with that diner that we saw with Amy, Rory, and River. And uh, she's pretending to be a waitress there. The doctor's clearly confused. And he's been telling her this story about Clara. Even though he doesn't remember Clara, he knows there was a Clara. And he remembers the adventures, but there's a void. He doesn't remember the person. So that's why he doesn't recognize the waitress as Clara. Well, they have one more goodbye. And um, what do you call it? Uh... Clara leaves out the back of the diner and who's there but me and she and it turns out the diner is the TARDIS that the doctor had stolen from Gallifrey the other one he stole from Gallifrey I should say and it (laughs) groups away and he's like ah he kind of figures out that wait a minute what was going on here and his TARDIS is now there it's been returned to him and it's all painted up with flowers and there's a picture of Clara and he has this realization like oh my god that was Clara so he goes off on his adventures once more, but uh, what's almost more important is we see that Schiller and Clara are in this TARDIS that is stuck as this uh, 1950s uh, Route 66 type diner, and they're going to go off and have adventures, but they're going to do that before Clara claims she'll eventually return to Gallifrey so she can step back into her own timeline so she can't actually die because it's hinted that her death, for some reason, is very important to the history of all of time and space. Mm-hmm. Well, they come out and say, I think it's, it's a fixed point. It's something that has oh, yeah. to happen. That's right. So do you want to add anything to this? No, I don't think so. Okay. Again, we'll, we'll kind of unpack it and talk it through. Okay. So let's start with heaven sent. What were you thinking about that one? Holy crap, dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy to not realize because he's so good is that this is essentially for an hour, just a Peter Capaldi one-man show. Yeah. And he's, like, talking to us. He's talking to the camera pretty much the entire time mm-hmm. in a way that you don't realize that's what he's doing. Yeah. Um, which is, how do you do that? Right. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you do that, but but he did it. Yeah. Um, it's really, really cool. It's a really cool idea. It's, re- I, you know, Moffat, because again, Moffat wrote this, he loves him some puzzle boxes. Right. He, you know, this is the type of thing that he's really, really good at, and it just works. It works really, really well. And the reason it works so well is because the, the puzzle is so good, but also because Capaldi just knocks it completely out of the park. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure where to go because mm-hmm. it's just I'm just so blown away by it. What about you? If I recall, because this is one that I did see first time around mm-hmm. um this this wasn't my first experience with it i think my initial reaction was sort of like i liked it to a point i don't remember i didn't go to the forums and see what i had written or facebook or wherever i typed it up but this time around i liked it a lot better okay. um than i initially did um and it goes to exactly what you said about this just being capaldi 
and us. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of ways, we're the companion in this story. We're the one he's explaining things to, just as he would Clara or Rose or Amy or anybody that's come before and will come since, you know? Um, so you sort of get this idea that he always talks to himself and sometimes it doesn't matter who's there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, honest, I mean, he does, you know, befriend all of his companions to, to one degree or another, but because he's doing that, yeah, I really got the sense that we are the companions in this one. Um, and, and just the way it is sold is, is just so brilliant. Um, yeah, I love the, the way that it just comes across that him talking and explaining things to his companion. It's nice that they're there, but they're not—they're they're not essential to the process. Right. It's really about him figuring things out for himself. Right. And I love this conceit that in his head he just goes back to the TARDIS, like he kind of goes to his safe space. Yeah. And um, just gives himself the opportunity to to just sort of lay everything out and figure things out. You know, like where we actually get to see the way that his mind works, which is really cool. Yeah, and that goes back to Missy, I think it was Missy, explaining in the opening two-parter of this one how the Doctor will slow down a situation. Like we see like those all those laser beams coming at him, and he like ducks down and time slows down. He puts up the sonic or whatever he does, mm-hmm. and he's able to teleport out or whatever he did, you know? It very much is an extension of that. Right. You know, they were laying the groundwork. They're like, okay, we're going to give you this piece here, but when we get to the end, you're going to see how it fully works. Um, and on top of that, I like how he's incorporated Clara into mm-hmm. that. Um, it isn't just he goes back there. He goes back there to be cocky. He admits, I'm explaining this to you because I want to be clever. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And I love this moment where he explains it to her back, because, of course, we don't really see her uh, up until a later point. He explains it to her back, and he turns around, and he makes this sort of face at the camera, like, I really don't know how I'm getting out of this one, but I'm going to keep pretending, you know? <laughs> <laughs> there is so much fourth wall breaking, but it doesn't. I, I don't get it. It's it's so cool to, to, to see them do this. To, you know, and it where, shouldn't work. Exactly. Where Sleep yeah. No More was trying something new, but kind of didn't work. This one is everything I think that it tried to pull off was was new and innovative, and they made it work. And I don't know if that comes down to writing, directing, or what, but here we are. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the episode. I'm trying to remember which one it was, but the one where he like spoke right to the camera at the very beginning and explained the bootstrap. Oh, uh, the Zygon story oh yeah where yeah. he explained the bootstrap paradox directly to the camera mm-hmm. and it didn't really work so well there but here i don't know i i can't explain it i don't know why it works so well here but it, it's undeniable in that you know he's letting us in on it but he's also like we're part of his process yeah which is yeah i like it because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he's just so good Right, he's just so good at doing this. <laughs> you know, he he can be the weird professor, but he can also be the alien that we don't understand. Yeah, which is and it, not as easy as it looks. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Sounds no, good. I mean, uh, honestly, the only part of this of the episode that I have a problem with, mm-hmm. and it's 
probably not as major a problem as it could have been is the fact that he gets out of the entire situation by punching it. Yeah. That's like not that, the doctor. I mean, yeah, it's not. I mean, I, I get, you know, the whole idea is that he's just fueled entirely on rage and persistence at this point. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like just punching the wall for four billion years doesn't... Yeah, I don't know about that. But because I, I'm, I'm so hooked in by, by this point, I'm, I'm really letting it slide. Yeah, I mean, in, in a way it makes sense. It's like, well, this is the thing he has to get through. He knows how to get through it. He has to tell his biggest secret, and he's not going to do that. So he's going to do something he wouldn't normally do, the punching. Yeah. But, yeah, it's – and getting ahead of ourselves, pulling the gun and actually shooting the general bugs the shit out of me too. Mm-hmm. Like, again, yes, I know Pertwee did shoot a motherfucker in the face or whatever he did <laughs> mm-hmm. um, in that one Dalek storyline. But it's just... Yeah, the Doctor has fired a gun before. Oh, ab- absolutely. It has you know, And I do like that he basically makes sure... You've still got some regenerations left, right? Right, yeah. He, he knows he's not <laughs> murdering the guy, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in both instances, he's doing something we're not used to him doing, especially to solve a problem. Although, again, we have to bear in mind that he has spent four, four and a half billion years inside that confession dial. Yeah. yeah. Even if from his perspective it's only been a couple of days because he kept, kept on rebooting over and over mm-hmm, again. Mm-hmm. You know, but he is just beyond, like, piss doesn't begin to <laughs> describe where he's at right now. Yeah. But on top of what you were saying about punching the wall, mm-hmm. the thing that... I don't want to say confuses me, but I kind of go, hmm, I think there's a problem in your story here. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't that room reset if all the other ones do? That's a really good question. Every other room resets. They make mm-hmm. a plot point of that. I mean, that is... Otherwise, we would have billions upon billions of 12th Doctor coats and boots laying around in that one room. Right. You know, um... Uh, but this is the I mean, is it because it's the special magic room that they want him to get to to tell the secret? I mean, I. I but the I, point is that they don't want him to get to that room because that's his only possible escape room. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, 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 that's a thing where as much as I love this one, I, I it's it's in the back of my head, knowing he's going to wind up in that room, punching the wall, and it somehow doesn't reset. That is not a small point. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. Huh. Um, so if, if anybody's got a way to explain that, write in, go to the forums, and I would love to hear it. Y'all know me and my fan theories and ways to explain things. I, I love them. So please, please try to fill that hole because I don't like that. I hate to say it, but plot hole being there. Yeah. You know. Um. And I do have a question here. They okay. show a room that has like an octagon or something in the middle and all the arrows pointing at it, mm-hmm. but nothing is done with that room. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what's going on there. Yeah, because this was an extended episode. This was 55 minutes instead of the normal 45-ish. But right. it still feels like a couple of things might. I don't, I don't feel the edits, but it looks like a couple of things might have been edited out because I'm like, yeah, if you put a bunch of arrows, literal arrows pointing at something, we should probably come back to that. <laughs> and I don't remember anything being done with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's much smaller 
than the other piece I was mentioning. Right. Uh, so yeah, uh, again, what else about this one? Well, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, it really just kind of is entirely on his shoulders, and he carries it off so effortlessly uh-huh. that it, it's really kind of remarkable to see. Yeah. But it, it it's just kind of... It, and it's so funny too because it slides into the next episode, which is so different tonally. Yeah, but it's but 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 it seems to also come very naturally. Right, like like they do fit together, even though they're nothing alike, mm-hmm. which I like. Um, what did you think? What, what did you think of Hellbent? Um, I I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of get lost. It seems to get a little muddy for me. Mm-hmm. As to exactly what the doctor's trying to do. I mean, yes, he's trying to save Clara. Fine, I get that. But the whole thing, like, I mean, when I was recapping it, going into the Matrix, I'm like, well, why were they doing that? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's an escape route, I guess. You know, like, there's certain parts of it where I'm like, I don't fully understand what they were trying to do. Is that on me? Is that on the story? I don't know. Um, I'll say it's on me, but. I, I liked it for the most part, but there are parts of it where I'm like, I, 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 maybe that could have been edited out or better explained. I don't know. What about you? I like it overall. Mm-hmm. I think that I like that there's all this stuff going on with the hybrid and the dial and the high council and all that. But once you scrape everything away, all he's really trying to do is save Clara. Yeah. And I do like that. And I like that they're not, like, going out of the way to call attention to that. Mm-hmm. You know, everything else is just sort of what he has to kind of wade through to get to Clara mm-hmm. and escape. Yeah. Um, that said, all the stuff that he has to wade through to get to Clara to escape is some pretty cool stuff. Right. I mean, yes, I'm here, to, I'm here because I need to be here to rescue Clara, but also I'm extremely pissed right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to make sure that I... I address that before I leave. Mm-hmm. So, that was cool. It is a shame that they couldn't get Timothy Dalton back. Mm-hmm. Um, because this Rassilon is kind of ranty and shouty. Yeah. But, um... I... Yeah, yeah I mean, there's a lot that I liked here. I like that the soldiers were, were entirely unwilling to shoot the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Because he, at one point or another, had pretty much saved all of them. Yeah. During the time war, you know, I mean, the general even says he's a war hero. Calm down. Yeah, I think I think there's even the line he saved the world. <laughs> like, <laughs> or I think they say he ended the time war. Yeah. For that alone, everybody on Gallifrey should say just say thank you once in a while. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. And yeah, uh, so that, I mean that part of it I really enjoyed because again, because precisely because it was so incidental mm-hmm. until it can't be anymore until he has to address the hybrid situation. Right. Yeah. Um, you know the scenes in the diner are very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know he doesn't know who he's talking to, so it's it's really very, very sad. Mm-hmm. It's not as I mean it's not as strong as Heaven Sent, but what what could be? Right. Yeah. Honestly. So, yeah, it's a little muddy, mm-hmm. but it's, on the whole, I think, very enjoyable. What about you? Well, one of the things I really do take away from this one is the Western theme. And I don't necessarily mean the themes, because the music in this one is great, being all mm. Western-y. Yeah. But 
when it starts and he's in Nevada, there's like sort of a modern Western story. Um, uh, sort of like something like the Coen brothers would do with, mm-hmm. with modern, you know, desert areas, right? Mm-hmm. Where not, not di- I shouldn't directly compare it to the Coen brothers because this is good. Ooh, controversy. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I said it. Um, <laughs> So where Chris Johnson is either punching the air or or sticking pins in your doll. I'll take either. I'm not I'm not sure which. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, so um where was I? Oh, okay, so we got uh the modern sort of desert westerny stuff with the diner and him being in Nevada, and I like that. And stylistically it's completely different from the western vibe they give this episode when he's on the outskirts of the city and he's protecting the 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 people the people who aren't who aren't going to go to the academy who aren't going to become time lords you know um and he's not talking i mean much i, I don't think he says a thing until after rassilon is there i think mm-hmm. from the point where we actually see him on gallifrey to the point where he starts talking to Rasslin. I think it's like a good 10 minute period where he's, maybe I'm overstating it, where he doesn't say a word. Right. And that's again, very reminiscent of, you know, any Clint Eastwood Western, you know, the whole silent protagonist and all that. Um, and the music is different, it's visually different, but you understand what they're going for. And to the point where he draws a line in the sand, oh my God, <laughs> you know? And so I, I really appreciated that again, they were trying something new with it. I mean, the last time we saw, well, the first time we saw a Doctor Who Western, it was fun, but it wasn't quite what we would consider Westerns now, you know? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that whole element of the ship show up and he walks up to the ship and it backs down. I loved that. Um, I love they bring in the soldiers and he just walks away. They bring in the high, co- high command or whatever. <laughs> he just keeps walking away. <laughs> Until Rassilon's finally there. It was it was very fun to see the doctor just give no shits and and just be pissed off and say nothing until he got exactly what he wanted. They figured out, well, it was Rassilon. Yeah. One of the things that I like about Moffat and the way that he portrays the doctor, like if this had been RTD, mm-hmm. we would have had like full on fury of a god yeah. mode. Which I never cared for. That was never the way that I liked that. Whereas Moffat tends to write the Doctor as more of a superhero almost. Mm-hmm. You know? Like somebody who is very powerful, very strong, very smart, very brave, very clever. But there, there's a limit. But there's also just that confidence that nothing that you do is going to phase him one way or the other. Yeah. When he gets, when he gets to that point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, say what you will about Moffat and the way that he's run the show and the way that he writes the Doctor and especially the companions. And a lot of them, a lot of those things are valid. Mm-hmm. But I do appreciate that as, uh, like, as badass as the Doctor is in this, in this episode, and he is, in those, especially in those moments, it's still a very achievable level of badass. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and that's what I was thinking as I was watching this episode, that you know, if this had been RTD, it would have been too much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, 
good on Moffat for for doing that. I think. Yeah. Well, adding to that is is one of my favorite shots in this one. Mm-hmm. The doctor is sitting at that table, about to eat his soup. Mm-hmm. That everybody or someone has brought him. You got the town folks surrounding him, and I believe that's when the ship shows up. And he's just holding the spoon, and the soldier on the intercom, whatever, says, put down all your weapons and come forward. Mm -hmm. And they make a point of showing him putting the spoon down. (laughs) And I, they don't make a big deal out of it outside of showing him put the spoon down, because there's just a close-up of that spoon. I don't remember if he drops it or if he does place it on the table. But it's a reminder, or I took it as a subtle reminder, that the doctor can make anything a weapon if he so chooses. And in this case, it would have been a spoon. You know? Well, you got to remember, too, it's a callback to Robin of Sherwood when he had the sword fight with Robin Hood with a spoon. Oh, my gosh. I was going to go back to uh, the fifth doctor. No, the sixth doctor playing the spoons. No, seventh yeah, doctor. Seventh doctor, yeah. Yeah, we're there. He had a, but Because I'm like, oh, he turned a musical. In, but I forgot about the sword fighting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, the, this- yeah. Exactly. Anything in his hands, he can he can use anything for anything he needs it to be. Yeah. And it's so, I, I don't want to say menacing, but it's so, it's powerful. It's a powerful image. It is. Where you're like, mm, okay, yeah, he's not putting down even a butter knife, which, you know, isn't mm-hmm. still a knife. This is a fucking spoon. <laughs> <laughs> but the doctor would find a way, you know. Um, and I, I really thought the storytelling in this one. Um, again, especially in those scenes, I just can't gu- stop gushing about it. I'm sorry, I will. No, but me. that um, that is what kept me invested in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, where do you want to go from there? We should probably talk about Clara. Yes. Um, on the one hand, she had such a powerful death scene that it really does feel like a shame to bring her back. Yeah. Um, I'm actually not sure there is another hand because <laughs> you know, bringing her back was more about giving the doctor the opportunity to save her than it was actually about anything to do with Clara herself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't love that somewhere out there is a spinoff of Clara in a shielder having adventures in a diner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I know a lot of people are very upset by that. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of people that were very, very upset that, you know, there was always a sense among among some, some fans that Clara was kind of more beloved by her creator than by her audience. Yeah, yeah. And that this was kind of just the opportunity to, you know, give her a TARDIS and have her go off on her own adventures and fuck you mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially yeah. but for me it really is more a waste of a, of a really really powerful death scene mm-hmm. than anything else yeah Stephen Moffat he can't let a character go no how many exits did Rory and Rory and Amy have I lost count yeah and I don't just mean like the ridiculous amount of deaths that Rory went through mm-hmm. but it's like they would say goodbye to them go an episode and then the next episode they're back again Mm -hmm. and it got to the point where it's like just get rid of them and that's sort of i'm not wishing clara i'm not trying to force clara away sure but yeah i i I am i am agreeing with you in that she has this great goodbye oh but not 
quite. Even though I did like that sequence, it was more on Capaldi. It was more, for me, like a regeneration sequence without there being an actual regeneration. Um, but, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from with the Clara thing. I do. Yeah. And honestly, what did a shielder add to this? Nothing. Yeah. I don't like the whole hybrid story arc. Yeah. It's mentioned at the first one. It's mentioned in Sleep No More. No, uh, Face the Raven. Mm-hmm. Mentioned in then Heaven Sent and Hell Bet. But, I mean, granted, it wasn't Torchwood, 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 or Bad Wolf repeated over and over throughout the whole season. Right. But I, where did that storyline go? And where did a Shilder storyline go? If It just felt like it was leading to a possible spinoff. Right. Because um, at the end, they don't even address what the hybrid is. Is it the Doctor? Which they hint at. Is it a shielder? Yeah. Is it the Doctor and Clara? Is it is it the 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 Dalek hybrid or Dalek uh, what you call it Time Lord thing? They that's another problem that Moffat has. He sets up these big mysteries like such as what is the name of the Doctor? Oh, it doesn't matter. Look, it's John Hurt as the Doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt we were seeing more of that here. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I know that like like the theory that a shielder comes up with is mm-hmm. that the. The, doc- the hybrid is the Doctor and Clara together. Right. But, no, that makes no sense. Yeah. They push each other to extremes. It's like, yeah. okay, are, are you telling me that Donna and the Doctor didn't do that with each other? Sure. You know? So, yeah, I don't... I wasn't crazy about the hybrid thing, and I wasn't crazy about her being here. And this goes to sort of what I wanted to say in, um, what you call it, Face the Raven. I like what the actor is doing with the character, mm-hmm. but I'm not really liking or digging the character that much. They're trying yeah. to make her this super mysterious, mega smart manipulator who survives to the end of the universe and is sitting on Gallifrey and all this and that. But I don't feel like that was earned. Right. I, I, I like how. And now, granted, she said billions of years to do that, but. How did she get off Earth? How did she get on Gallifrey? You know what I mean? I, it's a, They're trying to make her more mysterious and more powerful than she should be because we've only seen her like four times now. Yeah, I mean, as as well used as she was in her first couple of appearances, I'm not sure that they have been doing right by her at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. And it's not on the actress. No, no, no. At all. It's just the character has been... More of a plot device than a character, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I, I do like some of her interactions with the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just them sitting there talking, circling each other as they're trying to figure out, ooh, maybe the hybrid's this. Maybe it's that, you know? And the way she does challenge him into telling Clara the truth about the neural blocker or whatever and, you know, who he is and what he's done and push it going too far. You know, I there, there's good stuff, but it just... It felt like almost like that could have been Missy. It could have been River. A character we've had around for a longer period of time that has more of a relationship with the Doctor than someone he's only met a couple of times, you know? And I'm hoping that, I mean, does this mean that we're going to get more hybrid stuff next year? Mm. Because cause you remember at the end of Series 5, which was kind of all River all the time, Yeah. and at the end of that, they did not actually get around to explaining who River was. Right, yeah. <laughs> and it just became extremely frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um. But this particular plot thread is not really doing it for me. Right. So if they abandon it, I'm totally okay with that. Mm-hmm. But I'm hoping 
or I'm, I'm worried that they might just try to keep this going for a while. Yeah. Well, and apparently they were hinting again at the Doctor being half-human. Yeah. Thoughts about that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they've so definitively said that that's not the case yeah. that it would be hard to... I don't know why they keep bringing that up. Man. Yeah. 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 I got, no, I, got, I got no use for that at all. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, oh, there was a moment near the end that I did enjoy because it was a twist on things. When uh, the doctor's waking up in Nevada and there's like that guy, whoever he is, saying, oh, Clara told me to take care of you and point you in the right direction. And he goes, Clara? Clara who? And I, I, I liked the play on the Doctor, Doctor Who mm-hmm. line that they love to drop, especially yeah. since they've been building to her becoming more Doctor-like and then, of course, giving her her own broken TARDIS, you know. Right. Which somehow she – I can buy her flying the modern TARDIS with, like, the psychic mm-hmm. little thing you can put your hand in. But I was – again, I'm, I'm not – this isn't a knocking a point off type thing. But, like, her knowing how to fly an old school TARDIS, I was like, mm, not sure I believe that, but okay. Yeah, I don't know if I buy it. that. I don't know. Yeah. But I did like them looking through the instructions, trying to figure out how to fix the chameleon circuits. Like, I think we're stuck as a diner. Okay, that works. (laughs) You know. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Um, Oh, so going back to the general and his death, Mm -hmm. again, I. Again, I know he's desperate and he's angry, but I. And he did check to make sure that he still had regenerations in him, but mm-hmm. I didn't like it from a st- the standpoint of the doctor doing it. Cause this isn't him shooting an alien in the face because he really has no other choice. This is him cold bloodedly. It's not murdering someone, but forcing someone into a regeneration. Mm-hmm. And also from a fan point of view, I liked the general, <laughs> <laughs> his face had so many stories. He's just that yeah. the, the actor just said, so like he was, he has that kind of face. And he had such a great voice. And don't get me wrong, I like his regeneration. I like who he becomes. And I love that she still has the short hair because, of course, she's going to be a soldier. Of course she's going to have the short hair like that. And I I like what she brought to the role, but I'm going to miss that guy. (laughs) I liked him. Yeah, I did. I liked him a lot. Uh Um, And I get what you're saying, that this is something that the Doctor probably shouldn't have done. Mm -hmm. Although I can actually see this Doctor doing it if you push him hard enough. Sure, yeah. So I, it doesn't. It didn't strike me as out of character the way that it frequently did when other doctors did something similar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking of when uh, the fifth doctor shot the Dalek. Remember when he had the the revolver in his hand? No, I don't. In uh, the 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 Peter Davison Dalek story, what was it? Resurrection of the Daleks, I think. Okay. Um, like there was a Khalid mutant on the ground, and he oh. was just like pumping bullets into it. Yes. Oh my god, I completely blocked that out. Yes, that was yeah. awful. And it was just like, what the hell is happening right now? Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't like that. I can absolutely see the twelfth Doctor doing what the twelfth Doctor did in that mm-hmm. moment when he was that desperate and that angry. And it, but and making sure that again, making sure that <laughs> what he was about to do wouldn't actually kill him. Right. Yeah. And he did also proceed it with knocking him in the jaw, too, to steal yes. the gun. <laughs> um, which, in a way, again, I wasn't crazy on that. I'm not never crazy when the doctor does punch someone. But it goes to show that the Capaldi version is a little tougher, we'll say, than the 
was it Matt Smith who threw a punch and then like his hand was like ah yes who did he punch though I don't remember uh yeah I'm trying to remember because I can see it in my head but I don't actually remember who it was he he punched yeah so again it's not out of place for him to punch people but it's usually been done for comedy like yeah this is a person who doesn't know how to punch but he has had 4.5 billion years on how to learn to punch oh he's been punching for a long long time <laughs> exactly he's he, he's got a strong right arm that one <laughs> well here's a question mm-hmm. would you have been more okay with it if he had shouted hi at the beginning of it <laughs> <laughs> no because then he would have had to venusian judo throw him. <laughs> there's a difference sir <laughs> Excuse me, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Aikido is much, much different from <laughs> Yes, thank you for pointing out my hypocrisy that my favorite doctor does like to throw punches. Um... Yep. <laughs> oh, mm, okay, moving on. What else is in my notes here? Um... <laughs> As, uh, as as people say, good point, well made. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, w- w- what else do you have? Well, we've mentioned once or twice over the course of this year that a lot of, like, like the Doctor's look oh, mm-hmm. has frequently become kind of, I don't know if slovenly is the word I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, like, he's been going through he's been going through some shit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he's not always doing the best in terms of like self-care mm-hmm. presenting himself you know he's thrown away his sonic screwdriver and traded them in for glasses he's like going out of his way to be a different person almost mm-hmm, mm-hmm. here and we don't know what's going to happen in the future because obviously you know we haven't seen those episodes yet but it seems like this story ends with him kind of reclaiming that mantle yeah. where he's, you know, because like, like to the extent that like by the time this episode happened, he didn't even have his, the Abercrombie coat anymore. Yeah. And here, like at the very end of this episode, he's kind of changing back into what we would think of as the doctor, mm-hmm. you know, to the, like to the extent that, you know, he's, he's got his coat back and he's much more dressed up and he trades the glasses back in for the sonic screwdriver. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Do you think about that? I I was glad Clara pointed it out when they were in the Matrix and she said, where's your coat? I liked it. It was more doctory. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end, when he's come to terms with what has happened and he does put it on, it made his wardrobe changes throughout this season, especially these last couple of episodes, make much more sense. Now there's a story reason for it and it isn't just, I don't know, the actor wanted to try something different looks wise maybe it wasn't Capaldi I, I shouldn't put it on him but you know it, now it, now there's a, the reason for it um, so I liked it okay cool yeah yeah and I, I like the fact that you know he has sort of been reset it reminds me in a way of maybe what the war doctor would have went through before he became uh, what you call it uh, the ninth doctor you know um, he was clearly dressing a certain way that we wouldn't normally classify as the doctor you know, so okay. Um, so yeah, d- d- I'm sorry. Did you say what were you feeling about that? Did you say I don't think? Well, I mean, I liked it. I mm-hmm. like honestly when the doctor looks like the doctor, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I like 
I didn't hate the shades the way some people do. Mm-hmm. And some people love them. I mean, it, it's just back and forth. You know, the opinions on the shades really do run the gamut. Mm-hmm. I don't love them. I don't hate them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I do prefer to kind of see him with, with a screwdriver in his yeah. hand. That's the doctor to me. Yeah. Um, and for me, when it came down to the sunglasses, it really was, and I think I said this uh, previously when they were introduced, they look like you could buy them at a local gas station. Mm-hmm. There was nothing. I didn't want them wearing Gary Oldman's Dracula glasses. Nothing, right. Or, or Morpheus's little on-the-nose Matrixy ones, you know. But something that was a little more stylized and maybe fit the aesthetic they were going with uh, with him, I would have appreciated him more. But they just looked cheap to me. So, I don't know. That was sort of my takeaway with them. Okay. Um, anything else about this two-parter, or do you want to move on? Yeah, let's let's let's, uh, let's move on to the next thing. So, do you want to move on to ranking this season, or saying goodbye to Clara? Uh, let's talk about Clara. Okay, so I mean, you already sort of brought it up to some extent. Oh, well, you didn't necessarily say that's how you felt, but you you had mentioned that some people feel that Moffat was more in love with the character than the fans were. Um, yeah. Is that an opinion you hold, or is that just something you were just mentioning? It's something I was mentioning. Mm-hmm. I grew to like Clara quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, she did not have a great start. No. But once they got over the whole impossible girl thing, mm-hmm. I feel like she really did turn into a very good character. Mm-hmm. Her, I mean, Jenna Coleman's terrific. Yeah. She's a wonderful actress. And she plays the role really, really well. She's very good with comedy and with more dramatic stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it, too, is that her... Her... Um, her... Why am I not finding the words today? Her chemistry mm-hmm. with Smith was quite good, but it's untouchable with Capaldi. Yeah. She and Capaldi work together extremely well. Mm-hmm. And once... Which is funny, because usually when a, when a companion crosses doctors... It's the other way around. Right. But she works so well with Capaldi, and by the time that this was over, they were able to make her character so three-dimensional that her great relationship with Capaldi actually became an informed character trait mm-hmm. in that it was making her stupid and reckless. Right. Um, and as a result... I'm going. I mean, she's she's been a, a companion for a very very long time, and it's probably you know it, it's time for her to to go and, and, and bring in somebody new. Mm-hmm. But I am going to miss her. Mm-hmm. I, I liked her a lot. What about you? Yeah. Once they stopped telling us who she was, the the whole she's bossy mm-hmm. type thing. I remember we both were like, "What the hell? Where is that coming from?" Mm-hmm. You know. Once they got over that. And they stopped, as you said, having her be the impossible girl, stopped having her be a mystery for the doctor to solve. That is when I started liking her. I I liked the actress before that, but I wasn't totally keen on the character until these last two seasons, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, Like when she met Danny and, you know, parts of their relationship and all that. And then seeing her throughout this season, especially her interactions with Missy. 
That's the spinoff I wanted. <laughs> yes, <laughs> was, that was terrific. Yeah, was 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 Missy constantly teasing to kill Clara and her not knowing if it was going to happen or not, but they're stuck together because the odd couple. I don't know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, that that's the spinoff we need. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I it, it took me a long time, but the character grew on me. Um, but this was time for her to go. Yeah. Um, Because, yeah, how long was she here? She's been here since, yeah, like halfway through Series 7. Yeah, because she first appeared. Two and a half years. Yeah, she was on a series, but like with lots of time in between. Yeah, because what, first she was Souffle Girl, or was she the matron first? She was Souffle Girl, then the the governess. The the governess, that's it, sorry. Um, Yeah. And then she pops in as Clara as we know her, right? That's right. Yeah, and as you said, Rocky start like that was pick one, guys. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I know later on they sort of figured out a way to make that all work together, but it just, yeah, yeah. I mean, because we had already seen a mystery in Amy and the crack in the wall and Donna, you know, and I, I was I was so tired of the companion being something for the doctor to figure out that I think initially I wasn't quite giving her a chance. Right. Uh, but that's, I don't want to say that's on me. That's, that's on Moffat for doing that again or, right. or following in RTD's footsteps since he sort of did that with Donna, you know? Right. Yeah. But I mean, in terms of screen time, she was on this show for like three years. Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, that's a long time for a companion. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely time. Yeah. Um, a point I wanted to bring up in the previous story, but it does tie to Clara, is I in a way I think it was a mistake. As much as I liked Heaven Sent and Hellbent, I think it was a big mistake doing a story like this where the Doctor spends that length of time and that amount of energy trying to save his companion. Because what happens when he loses the next companion, and he doesn't do this? Yeah, you know, is that is that a sign that he didn't love him or her as mm-hmm. as much as he did Clara? I mean, all, all joking aside, I look back and I go, "What about Adric?" Right. I mean, uh, seriously, no jokes about Adric here. You know, like, what did he not? I mean, he seemed pained over the guy's death, but mm-hmm. to, to to go to this great length to tell this type of story to save one character, I think hurts potential stories and characters to come, especially if you are going to kill off a companion. I know it's a rare thing, mm-hmm. but it does happen from time to time or sure. 12 times in a season, a few seasons back. But <laughs> um, so I just, I just wanted to put that out there. So sorry, I forgot to mention that earlier. Sure. Uh, should we rank this season then? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So let me call up Dr. Google here. So are we including last Christmas in this one? I can't remember if we include the first Christmas special. Yeah, I don't think we usually do. Okay. But maybe. <laughs> I don't I don't really remember that one that much, so yeah. I was struggling with So let's season. say we don't. <laughs> All right, okay. So of course the season was mostly two parters. So we had opening or we opened with The Magician's Apprentice and The Witch is Familiar. Then we had Under the Lake and Before the Flood. The Girl Who Died and The Woman Who Lived. The Zygon Invasion and the Zygon Inversion. Then our first and only truly one-parter, Sleep No More. Then Face the Raven, Heaven Sent, and Hell Bent. So um, 
overall, what were you thinking about this season, even before we get into the ranking of it? Overall, I thought it was a decent season. Mm-hmm. There really weren't any episodes that I would out and out qualify as bad. Mm-hmm. There were some that weren't as strong as the others. But overall, I think that this was a uh, a decent season, a definite improvement over Capaldi's first season. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what was good tended to be very good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about you? I'm 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 right there with you. Um, this this was an improvement across the board for the production crew, for the actors, everybody. Um, I think the only one I outright disliked was Sleep No More. Yeah. Um, but even that, again, I'm going to give that another shot as an audio drama because I think there's something there. Sort of like, um, what's that three-parter that Tom DJ, I think, really likes? Um, th- the one in the mansion. It's Ace and the Seventh Doctor. Ghostlight. Ghostlight. I think there, there, I really think there is something in Sleep No More. It's just a matter of finding the way to view it. Um, and at that point, I think it will be better appreciated, at least by myself. I can't speak of other people. Um, so, yeah, so how would you rank these episodes? Because are, are I'm going to rank these as two-parters. Okay. Um, I don't know if you're going to rank them individually as episodes, but that's the route I'm going. Oh, no, no, I'm definitely doing it as two-parters. Okay. Yeah. How would I rank them? Um, I think my favorite or the best... And I'm actually having a little bit of trouble with this, but I mm-hmm. think I'm going to go with Face the Raven, Heaven Sent, Hellbent. Okay. On top. And a lot of that is because because of Heaven Sent in the last 10 minutes or 15 minutes of Face the Raven. Mm-hmm. After that, I'm going to go Magician's Apprentice, which is familiar. Mm-hmm. Although, catch me on another day and I might switch those around. <laughs> or look at my notes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then, Girl Who Died, Woman Who Lived. After that, probably, probably the Zygon two-parter. For all the problems I had with it, it did have some very good stuff, and of course, the Capaldi speech was amazing. Yeah. Then under the lake before the flood, and then sleep no more. Okay, I'm going to go magician and witch at the top. Um, because I think you said that's the one you said was your second one, right? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, then. Heaven bent and uh, heaven bent and wait, heaven sent and hell bent. Sorry, um, and I'm going to s- separate Raven out from there. Okay, um, so that's going to get its own slot. Then uh, here's where I get a little murky, and there's not meant to be a pun here because I'm going to go with um, under the lake before the flood. Okay, I think I might be putting that one a little too high, based on. I'd have to go back and listen to our conversation about that one, you know? But I I think I'm putting that a little higher than I should. From there, I'm going to go with The Girl Who Died, The Woman Who Lived as number four. Five would be Raven. Six would be Zygon. Seven would be Sleep. Is that all of them? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. My notes are like such a scribble here. (laughs) I'm like, this is one. No, this is two. Oh, no, oh, no. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's my order. Magician, Witch, Heaven, Hell... Lake Flood, Died Lived, Raven Zygon Sleep. Oh, come here. Come here, you scrumptious little beauty. 
have a couple of emails here. First comes to us from Lori. She writes, Hi, Dan and Mike. It's great to hear from you again, and I look forward to more Doctor Who goodness. So I really liked the Zygon 2 part of the first time it came out. I thought there was some good action, and I liked Capaldi and Osgood, but the more I thought about it, the more it fell apart. The main criticism I thought of is I don't like the Doctor's resolution. Is it morally acceptable to say to the Zygons, you can live here only if you give up every part of your culture and pretend to be something you're not? Mm. I mean, the Zygons are essentially refugees, and they are being told to give up their group identity. I'm not comfortable with the fact that the only answer the Doctor seems to have to this is life's not fair. This should go without saying, but I don't support Bonnie's terrorism. (laughs) However, just because I don't support terrorism doesn't mean that I'm comfortable with the subjugation of the Zygons. Toodlepip, Laurie. Thank you, Laurie. Yeah, uh, what about that? Because obviously there's <laughs> real-world yeah, topics in that. You know. That, I think, is an excellent point. And I'm actually a little surprised that we didn't mention that ourselves. Mm-hmm. But she's absolutely right. The only way that you guys get to stay here is if you stop being Zygons, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is... Yeah, that's not something that should be construed as being okay. Although that is what directly ties into why Bonnie and her her group are rebelling against. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's kind of why this is all happening. Yeah. But the fact that this was kind of what was allowed in the first place does kind of rub me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. About you. It's thinking about it, it really is uncomfortable there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't mean to laugh about it. Sorry, that's more of a nervous laugh. Uh, next up, we hear back from Kat. Dear Jan and Mike, I've not got much to say about the end of this series. I thought the idea of the confession dial was great, and it has become one of my all-time favorite episodes, simply because of how amazing Capaldi's acting is in it. However, the rest of the stuff on Gallifrey, I found a bit of a letdown. But the main reason for that is the fact that in Moffat's era, deaths don't seem to stick, and bringing Clara back was just the last straw for me. It seems like a waste of a death, and the reaction to it, if they just come back to life five minutes later. (laughs) Which, you know, of course, is what we were just talking about. Yeah. And you're absolutely right, Ken. I enjoyed the Zygon episodes, although watching them back, I can't help but notice everything you mentioned, and it took a sharp drop in my estimations. I'm blaming the fact I'm still quite fond of it, even though it has all these problems, on the fact it was on two days after I arrived back in the UK from Australia. As a whole, I found this series fairly meh, with a few good points in it. I still don't have the DVD, and currently, although it bothers me because I have every other episode of Modern (laughs) Who, I'm not in a rush to put it on the shelf. I never really liked Clara, although they did a better job of making her a real person in this series. And I like the fact that she and the Doctor did have an unhealthy relationship. Mm -hmm. It felt realistic for the Doctor to meet something that he would have to pull back at times, rather than having them there to pull him back. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I read that. (laughs) I think... um, Yeah, I I think what Kat's saying there is... Oh, okay, I'm rereading it and understanding this. Yeah, he has to pull Clara back from the line, or normally the companion tells him to cut his shit out, right? Yeah, no, I I agree. I like that Clara kind of essentially went wild over the course of this season, (laughs) and he was the one that had to say, no, knock it off, you're going to kill yourself. Right. Yeah, because what does he say? He says, I'm less breakable than you. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, something else from... The the episode uh, when the doctor is uh, facing off against Rassilon, I love the fact that Rassilon says to him, "How many regenerations did we grant you? I have all day or all <laughs> afternoon." I like the line, 
Um, but I also like the fact that they keep it a mystery. You know, before we knew how many regenerations the Doctor had, they had to deal with that. Now we don't know. Yeah. It could be two, it could be a billion, it could be infinite. And his line makes it seem like it's a lot. And he was going to have fun shooting down <laughs> each one of those. So I, 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 even though I wasn't crazy about the new Rassilon, I dug that moment for on several that was levels. Cool. That was a cool moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On a completely unrelated but still Doctor Who based note, about a month ago, Rosie and I went to a Doctor Who convention and met William Russell. It was his 92nd birthday, and he was still there. His talk was amazing. And we got a great photo with him, and he teared up when he was given a standing ovation and birthday cake. <laughs> he was one of the few guests that we were both desperate to meet, and although he did look like a little old man, and I probably wouldn't have recognized him in the street, his mind was still as sharp as ever. It was a great moment, and one neither of us will forget. Have a good Christmas, Cat. Ah, that's that's wonderful. Thank you, That's Kat. so cool. Yeah. Oh, man. Ian motherfucking Chesterton. <laughs> Just the other day, I was looking for the, uh, the one where he puts on a jetpack. Uh, and I know I have it, but I can't find it because I wanted to listen to it again because Ian motherfucking Chesterton in a jetpack. You yeah. know? <laughs> so I got to find that again. Where is it? You know? It's kind of amazing that he's still making the convention rounds. Yeah. Yeah, because I knew you got someone like, uh, isn't Stan Lee right about the same age? Yeah, they are. I believe they are. This, they're both like 92, 93. Yeah, and he's sort of doing a wind down convention tour this year, I believe. Yeah. So, I mean, we may see that from uh, William Russell in the near future. I don't know. But, yeah, to still go out there and do that, that's that's some serious commitment to Doctor Who fandom. And that's, that is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's really appreciated. about the hybrid, a danger to all of us. If you'd told us what you knew, you could have walked out of there. Get off my planet. You have nothing, Doctor. Nothing! Do you know what I have out here, in the dry lands where there's nobody who matters? No witnesses. Wait. Take aim! Aim at the doctor. Fire on my command, sir. Step forward and take aim. What's the matter with you? Lord President, he's a war hero. Some of these men served with These men served me! All of you! 
on my command! If you'd like to send us an email, you can address it to feedback at biggeronTheInside.com. That's feedback at biggeronTheInside.com. Next time, we'll cover the 2015 Christmas special, The Husbands of River Song. Please don't forget you can support Bigger on the Inside by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash bigger on the inside. For Dan Toland, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to Bigger on the Inside. Oh, uh, for Sleep No More, what was the, the, the doctor or the villain's name? I never quite caught it. Rasmussen. Rasmuffin? Rasmussen. Oh, okay. Rasmussen. Okay. <laughs> I heard Rasmuffin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, my hearing. I am so old. Dude, I have to take my glasses off when I read now. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, if, really? I, if I've got something in front of me... Like if like the water bottle in front of me, if I wanted to look at it, I have to take my glasses off. You know what, dude? You know what that means? You know what it's time for? It's time for bifocals. I know, I know. And I'm like, that's, no. That's, that's exactly what happened to me a couple of years ago. Yeah, and Shana's like, no, 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 don't worry. They got the kind without the line. I'm like, I don't care about the line. I just don't want bifocals. That was exactly, I mean, again, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Uh, the, the doctor was like, you know, they make them now without, you, don't, you know, nobody will actually see them and know they're bifocals. I know they're bifocals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I'm used to them now, and of course, you know, it means that I can read without getting headaches. But yeah. you know, I'm, I'm wearing bifocals. But I have been for a few years now, yeah. so I'm, I'm used. I've gotten used to it. How does that shift work? Like when you go up and down, is it easy on the eyes? I know you said you get you, you got used to it, but like is... it takes a while to get used to it. Yeah. Um, once you get used to it, you don't even think about it. Because like when I take mine, I know we're so not. <laughs> can you tell I don't want to talk about this one? Um, yeah, really. When I take my glasses on and off to to read, I'm. I'm the headaches are actually worse than if I like try to find the focal point with my glasses yeah. on. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't want to get worse headaches, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, uh, you, it, it takes a while. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It took me a long time to get used to it. Probably took me a couple weeks. Okay. But once I did, it was fine. Okay. <sighs> Old age fucking sucks. Tell me about it. <laughs>